Hey, everybody, everybody. Big show today. 90 minutes of show. It's a lot of show. Yeah, it's a uh, but big, we got a lot accomplished. beefy what we got show today. Let's see. We are going to talk a little bit about what is happening in finance and ESG. We're talking about Deutsche Bank getting raided by German law enforcement for greenwashing its ESG funds, which is of that is a very timely topic right now, let's just say. And then we touch base on Fidelity marking down their investments in Stripe and Reddit. We're going to talk about companies going back into the office over concerns about worker productivity and then leads to a nice big conversation about productivity. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on um, professional training, uh, time blocking and time management by employees, uh, and um, obviously work from home and remote and then setting clear goals in your company. And I think I have a formula for success as we come out of the pandemic and move to endemic. And people are now deciding, do we come back to work or not? I have a way for managers, I think, and employees to navigate work from home. And it's really based upon productivity. And it's also a way for companies that are scared about this recession being an extended one, maybe getting 20, 30, 40% out of their current employee base and team, rather than hiring 30, 40%, uh, or maybe being 30, 40% more effective leading to more revenue and then reducing the number of layoffs you have to do. So if you're scared about those things, um, like I have a concern about, I don't know if I'm scared, but I am concerned and attuned to it. I've yeah. really been thinking about it and I have a really good strategy I want to share today uh, in terms of operating your company. Yeah, it's a great show. That alone, by the way, is like a lot of show. Full but show. Then, then we have a great interview with the CEO of Drone Up, the company that's working with Walmart. Yeah, we talked pilot about them the other day. Yeah. Drone deliveries. Exactly. We had a million logistical questions. So we got Tom Walker on the show and he's fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. And Coda. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. We got a great interview with you on the second half of the show uh, about drone up. And so you're going to love that we go into massive details about the actual drone deliveries happening in Arkansas right now um, by a company called drone up and with their partner that you may have heard of Walmart. It is a Walmart. super compelling uh, discussion. And, and this technology is is here earlier uh, is actually happening. So maybe not earlier than we expected, but they're actually doing it, Molly. It's pretty yeah. impressive, huh? Yeah. And I would argue it is earlier than we expected for some reasons yeah. that we talk about in the show that, that gave me a little bit of a series idea for uh, mm. yes. the COVID fast forward. The COVID fast forward. Yes. I mean, this technology like telemedicine and food delivery is certainly benefited from, hey, we can't leave our houses. We need a COVID test. 
Well, drone delivery seems like a great way to get it and not have to have human interactions. But totally. there's other news. Yes. And this Deutsche Bank getting raided one seems crazy. Yeah. I, it, I saw this and I don't understand exactly what's going on. So maybe, Molly, you can educate me and the rest of the audience uh, on well, the Deutsche Bank issue. You know, it's very interesting. So the Deutsche Bank issue is happening in the context. So the, the headline here is that Deutsche Bank was raided by okay. German law enforcement because of alleged fraudulent advertising of sustainable investment funds. What makes this a super interesting story is, um, A, the bank was raided by German feds, but <laughs> yes. B, this is all happening in the context right now of the SEC here in the United States starting to roll out and float trial balloons on way, way, way tougher requirements around ESG. What can Explain. count, what can qualify yeah. as an environmental... What is it? Environmental sustainability and governance type yeah. investment. So there's this sort of basket in, of investments that, you know, are maybe green or they're about corporate governance. Why mm -hmm. those things got welded together, I will never know. But it's gotten environmental, social and governance. So are you a fund or a company that does some that is environmentally responsible, does a social good or has, you know, progressive government governance? Governance being your board of directors has a woman on it, a person of color, a, a, an employee representative um yeah. basically a standard uh esg is kind of the concept at least and the intent the seems is good right. the execution seems kind of screwed up right now uh right. but it's so supposed to be good for society is the intention it doesn't seem to be happening yeah. exactly so this well you know i mean you, it, right it's sort of like does awareness matter so mm -hmm. i guess there was that question but there yeah. is this um a move afoot to crack mm -hmm. down on what is considered ESG and to get tighter disclosures. So mm. that's sort of the context for the fact that now uh, German authorities have not only d declared that there was some greenwashing at Deutsche mm. Bank, but because they're a lot tougher there, mm. went in and searched, you know, tossed the place looking for evidence that could support allegations, uh, according to a spokesman for the public prosecutor in Germany, of prospectus fraud so basically mm. deutsche bank saying yeah we've got these funds they're super esg it's all like really green and the german authorities were like no okay these, these appear to potentially have been lies asset managers promising a certain thing with respect to these investments that didn't turn out to be true so prospectus fraud they when you start a fund and you ask rich people to invest in it you make a prospectus you say hey these are going to be green funds and then they invested in non-green funds. So the German authorities said, hey, this is illegal. And so, or at least that's the claim here. And they, it was strong enough of a situation to raid it, which is just, yeah, super disappointing. Like, why would you go through creating an ESG fund to dupe people to then invest it in non-ESG? I'm also, I'm thinking about the motivation here. I guess it's just money. I guess they were yeah. going to make more money investing in non-ESG stuff. The public doesn't want to invest in non-ESG stuff, so they ran a shell game. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, honestly, though, I think like uh, Eric Garland, who I think is a former federal prosecutor, right? A formal former DOJ guy. Is that mm -hmm. the guy? Uh, basically, was like, isn't DO isn't Deutsche Bank kind of raided every week or two now? There has <laughs> it's been a very complicated uh, bank. <laughs> yes, it Overall. was. Uh, <laughs> they were raided for money laundering at some point, and. Yeah, they admitted, strange. let's see, in 2021, admitted uh, a breach of 2021 DOJ tied to ESG reporting failures, like they've had a whole bunch of issues related to this specifically. 
um, and other issues. There's like a whole long yeah. Donald Trump thing. There's a whole bank crisis. Yeah, the, there within. was a whole Donald Trump, like who gave him the loans. Deutsche Bank, yeah. But I never think found like, that out. Yeah. It's, you know, later in the show, we're going to talk about this idea of like moving really fast and potentially moving so fast that you break things and put a stink on an entire industry. You could argue that ESG was, you know, a concept designed to incentivize stakeholder capital capitalism, to encourage companies to green their operations, uh, to reduce their own financial risk and also operate a little bit better. But then what happened is that you ended up with skewed incentives. If you could make a lot for a long time, it was like money was just pouring in to these ESG funds with not a lot of oversight. So it was like a quick way to make a buck. So of course, people started cheating, right? It's just a story about incentives over and over and over. And yeah. of course, if somebody was going to cheat, it just sort of feels like, of course, it was Deutsche Bank. <laughs> well, and then it's Bless. like the there's some way I know Elon was talking about this, like there, the S&P had some ESG rankings. And so it seems like it's pretty easy to game the rankings. So there's some sort of scorecard and Tesla came off the ESG rankings. And then yeah. I think Exxon was like at the top of them or something. And we were just all like, what exactly is happening here with this? And it's show me an incentive. I'll show you an outcome. I think yeah. uh, people are gaming the system quite obviously. Um, and these ESG things feels like a giant grift and fraud. And the people who are making the money from it are lawyers. Yeah, I mean, there are bigger grifts and frauds, to be clear. Well, I'm but sure. But I mean, when Exxon is gaming it, like they're producing all the oil in the world and burning right. a hole in the ozone layer and they're at the top of the rankings i don't know how this makes sense so i just anytime these regulations come out I, i've seen it like the the attorneys and the accountants and the consultants seem to really clean up yeah and uh what i yeah. would argue and i'm actually super happy because it showed up in the wall street journal today rochelle toplinski wrote an opinion piece in the journal um saying exactly what i've been saying which is like the environmental part of this needs to come out like we've mm -hmm. the the fact that we sort of welded on you know, environmental reporting and risk disclosure and things related to the climate crisis with social and uh, governance and and sort of social good and DE&I, like, yes, these are intertwining in some ways. There's a huge, like, climate justice component here. There's environmental racism. Those things are all real. But the fact is, like, as companies pursue risk disclosure, climate neutral policies, net zero uh that's the, like goals that's all business and that's all necessary business and i'm i'm gonna put this in a way that's gonna get me yelled at but mm. it was always going to be too messy i guess to combine these things like yeah. companies need to have environmental goals and goals related to the climate crisis companies need to have de and i policies and diversity that makes them stronger businesses but the idea that those are somehow the exact same policy are is mm. has created a lot of like messiness around what these funds do and accomplish and should include. Yeah, they seem like separate issues and they should be changed. Uh, yeah. Listen, right now, capital efficiency and extending your runway is more important than ever. So how are you going to do that? Well, one easy way is to cut costs and run all of your SaaS apps on one platform. And for that, 
you need to check out Odoo's amazing suite of business apps. It's going to save you so much time and so much money. Using Odoo means you won't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions to manage and all that money. Your credit card bill comes every month. You're in shock. Everything you need is already on Odoo. And all you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. And Odoo will only charge you for the apps that you actually use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 in their open source community. We're talking sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. And this will streamline your business perfectly, aka no more transferring data back and forth from all these disparate products and services that you use. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. And the best part? Well, first app is free forever. They're going to give you $1,000 right now off your first implementation pack. That's right. You're going to go to odoo.com slash twist and get $1,000 off. What a generous offer. That's odoo.com slash twist. It's Breaking messy. news it's messy. Uh, here. Somebody just tweeted at me that, uh, mm. you know, when we had that OpenSea story, remember that? Where the yeah. employees at OpenSea were front running the market and they're quoting me here. I don't know if this is my exact quote, but... Uh, Somebody says, Jason said that, you know, OpenSea needed to take action against the rogue employee. And it said, uh, this is my quote. I don't know if this is actually accurate. <laughs> they need to sue the employee. I know that sounds crazy. Um, and it looks like they, in fact, have. Um, and so, so this was some... the story where that for the product manager committed insider trading. Oh, right. So they were trading NFTs. Right. Before they were publicly available, I guess. And so, yeah, opens, uh, Are these DOG Jane charges that... former OpenSea executive and first NFT insider trading case. Uh, prosecutors, prosecutors allege the former OpenSea had a product, Nathan Chastain, used insider knowledge to trade NFTs for profit. Department of Justice, I'm reading from Vice. Uh, the Department of Justice charged a former executive at OpenSea in connection with an NFT insider trading scheme. The agency announced Wednesday. It is the first time, that's today, that such a charge have been uh laid out in the realm of digital assets this will be the tip of the iceberg yeah predict there will be and remember i said that like everybody in crypto thinks the rules don't apply because it's it's not there a haven't stock. Been any mm -hmm. but if you're selling these things and they quack like a duck and they look like a duck and it's kind of obvious like hey, this is uh going to get um prosecuted at some point i think it, this is just the beginning the the doj and the sec like they, they seem to take like five ten years to build these cases so ico cases happened over the last couple of years and ico's happened what five six seven years ago and now i think all this nft stuff if people were painting the tape as everybody seems to think was the case how many people were painting the tape mm -hmm. at OpenSea or other platforms you know, in other words, creating wash trades, fake trades to make people think this NFT is going up. And they're like, well, you can technically do it. And if that is your benchmark for behavior, that it's technically possible. Yeah. It's technically possible to create a super drug called fentanyl that gets people super high and then takes them to the edge of an overdose. Like, doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> so here we are again in terms of responsibility. Um, yeah. You know, and, so and he knew. So it looks like he knew. I was trying to remember this story because yeah. I was remember we, there was some other story where we talked about insider training and it was like trading and it was like these ding dongs who only made themselves a million dollars and were super obvious. This was less than that. But he was the guy who knew was responsible for selecting what NFTs would be featured on the front page of <laughs> OpenSea. So he was like, so it'd be like if you were, you know, at Apple and you knew what was going to be promoted in Apple podcasts and then you, I mean, assuming that podcasts made any money, right? Yes. You like somehow front ran 
those podcasts. So he was I in mean, charge of promoting the NFTs. And so then he obviously yeah. bought them first. Yes. Then they got promoted. And then he resold he them at two them. to yeah. five times. He flipped them. It's what just they, crazy. What he I, the, the story you're referring to, uh, to refresh everybody's memories, the SEC charged three Twilio employees with That's insider right. trading. And they were like engineers. And at the time, we had a similar comment, which is like, if you work at OpenSea and you're the product manager, you must be making six figures. You own equity in the company that might be worth millions of dollars, potentially. Mm -hmm. You could just buy, if you actually did understand NFTs, you could just buy them after they were released to the public because you'd probably still have enough information and you could just use public information, right? And you could disclose, I'm buying this NFT. I have an affinity for it after on day two of trading. Who's going to, if you, if this person bought these on day two of trading, yeah. Could anybody complain? I don't think so. That would be like, I work at a uh, Nike and I bought the shoes after they were for sale for two days. But I just, right. you know, I, I wanted to own a couple of pairs of them, as opposed to I think there was a Nike person who was actually stealing the Nike shoes and front running them in that market. So front running a market, I mean, we're learning all the tricks, <laughs> front running a market, using inside information to front run the market, painting the tape, wash trades, all this stuff is going to be coming out so this will be a parade of malfeasance that we'll be dealing with for some time uh in other news today fidelity is marking down its share of startups so uh when you're in the private investing business you do an audit every year you know you may or may not mark stuff down that you've invested in at a certain valuation uh, when you're um one of these more public uh larger entities i think you have to do this quarterly uh, and so Fidelity, according to information compiled by our friends at Bloomberg, has marked down some private market investments. So this is a judgment call they make based on what's happened in the public markets. They start marking down investments they made in private corporations. We all know Reddit had filed to go public. Uh, Fidelity marked them down 36%. They marked Stripe down about 13% uh, and Instacart. 48%, which I think Instacart had taken that medicine themselves in order to reprice their employee options. But and so if you look at dollars per share, uh, looks like Reddit peaked in Q three of 2021 at $62. And now is at $39. They're actually because these are going to be public companies are obviously talking about the actual share price now $125 for Instacart now down at like $62. So wise thing to do and just more indicative of the medicine being taken, Molly, uh, yeah. so that people can then not keep crashing. And if you reset the peg and you say, hey, here's where the number is, um, now it can go up again. So you take this hard medicine and, you know, hey, your house, sorry, your house isn't worth what you thought it was, right. is what's happening here. In these public markets, it happens quicker. In a public market, it happens instantly because it's an open market. In crypto, it's a 24-hour market, it happens instantly. In private companies, these type of investors, the fidelities of the world have to report, they have a higher reporting uh, in their funds, um, because they have large inst other institutions in there, I guess, yeah. and they do it quarterly. So um, mm. this is just more proof that public uh, valuations that are reset are impacting private companies. But you'll mm -hmm. notice these numbers are slightly lower than what happened to public companies, which down went down 50 to 85%. So you don't see 50 to 85% here. Right, totally. I want to have a longer conversation about marking in our uh, VC Sunday school. But yes, what it shows yeah. is that the contagion, you know, the virus is spreading, <laughs> if you will, if you will forgive a really unfortunate metaphor. Um, yeah. That, 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 you know, rumors of a downturn have not been exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about productivity. 
um, and the remote work sort of train ending uh, mm -hmm. for certain folks. Apple went to three days a week. They had some resignations, but we haven't heard anything since then. And so people are going back to work. I was on a couple of phone calls this week uh, or the last two weeks, and people were, were on the Zoom from their offices. It's a weird experience yeah. when three people are in the window. You're like, whoa, what are you all doing in the same <laughs> Zoom window? There's three of you. And what is this background of a, a conference? And yeah. yeah, they're like, no, no, we're in our conference room. You are the ones who are at home. And so all of a sudden, this is getting real. And actually today, I have to make a decision, Molly. I'm going to need a little bit of your help here. I have a board meeting at 2.30 that mm -hmm. I can go to in person. Mm -hmm. I love this company. Incredible. It's one of our top performers. Uh, I also got my parents in town, my brother. So, and they invited me to come to dinner, uh, with the board, which we haven't done in like close to three years now, over two years, uh, wow. with the pandemic. So I'd have to leave my house at two for the two thirty board meeting, hour and a half board meeting, uh, gets us to, uh, three, four o'clock. Then we have a five o'clock dinner. So there'd be an hour of like work I could do independently in a conference room somewhere and then dinner five to seven. So two to seven thirty, maybe I get home looking at uh, uh, a lot of time out of the house, but I'm kind of missing people and I want to go. Mm -hmm. But my mind goes to productivity. Mm -hmm. It's probably, you know, if I did go to dinner on my own, if I had dinner on my own or with my parents, that would be an hour anyway. So this looks like it adds two hours, three hours to my day of extra stuff. Do I want to give up two to three hours? Am I looking at it the right way, Molly? Or should I, mean, I just be happy to see humans and build bonds. Which I, I know, I know this. I just, I think this is going Which to be I the too. question of the future because mm -hmm. I mean, you know how I feel about time, right? Like I am precious. murderously protective of my time. I call it I unobtainium. It is the most precious substance in the universe. No more of it can ever be created and so on and so forth. Yes. And so constantly for me, it's this question of ROI. Like when I convinced Marketplace years ago to let me work from home, it was, it was by saying like, effectively you pay me too much to be in the car an hour and a half a day yeah that's a stupid use of your money yes. and when i'm in the car i'm in the car like during prime news breaking hours right right it's like noon on the east coast mm. four or five on the on the west coast yes that i am useless to you instead of live on the radio like yeah. that's just not a good dollar for dollar mm. like they say yeah. in public radio challenge um, and I, and I sort of feel that way about these opportunities now too. And I've gotten increasingly stingy about them. It's like, what mm -hmm. is going to be the, the long-term payoff here now relationship building often worth it. But if you already yeah. have a relationship, yeah, what are you going to lose by not going? Like I do. And I think that's like, mm. you know, writ large, that's like the question that we're all asking ourselves now. It, will I be more productive in the office? Will, mm. will some employees be more productive in the office, but others won't be. Yes. is the is the amount that you pay me worth you having me in a car for an hour a day right like or two right. hours a day well and who like pays for that like literally i saw somebody that? on twitter saying i think it was actually an apple employee uh it was around yeah, the they apple were like thing. you should pay our commute costs and i was like whoa whoa <laughs> that's not how this works but okay you right. know like i understand the argument but when has anybody ever said like pay for my commute that was always the employee's responsibility but i guess after two years of working no, that at home happens. come on that's actually no, been around for nobody years gets commuter paid benefits nobody commuter gets paid. benefits are paying for your bart or your new york right. metro car you get like some pre-tax benefits that if you know yeah, help but that's meant with to the pay for the commute, commute not the hours i mean think about an expensive employee what 
two hours a day equals 10 a week equals 520 a year, it'd be 25% of a pay bump. Everybody would be getting a because it would be 20% more of your day. Think about it, 25% yeah. more every day, eight hour a day plus two, 25% yeah. more. So if it's a $100,000 employee, and you paid for their commute to be $25,000 to pay for them reading books, or listening to podcasts, it's like, right. Mm. But, but anyway. if you mm. if if you as the mm. company, if yes. that employee worked from home for this whole time, and got mm. everything done, every no outcome changed. And in fact, was potentially even 20 or 30% more productive, Yes. Because they weren't going somewhere and they weren't tired at the end of the night. They could just sort of pick up the laptop at nine because they're not mm. pooped. They didn't go somewhere yeah. all day. Um, if there was no difference in productivity and then you, company, were like, no, I want you to come here now and lose those two hours. If I'm that employee, I would also want to get paid. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, really? Because like hmm. previously I was working during those hours. Yeah. For, for, for free, right? For my salary. Like, mm. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a real... I it's a real management question for our It's time. a real management question. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. You know about this problem. People start putting their personal mobile phone in documents, proposals, and it makes things super messy. If you're running your own company, you need to be professional. An open phone helps you create a business phone number, and it's really easy. How easy is open phone? You install an app, and you're done. You pick your number, you're done. And you can create a shared phone number. How great is that? You know how you have like an email for customer support, you do VIP at? Now you can have that for a phone number where multiple employees can feel calls and texts, including those texts, super important. Because that's how a lot of business happens. A lot of these young folks, they don't want to talk on the phone, they want to text. Well, open phone can help you with that as well. And it's affordable already. It's just 10 bucks a month. I mean, it's so affordable. It's ridiculous. I think they should triple their prices. I think I would pay 30 bucks a month for this, but they charge 10. Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off that for any plan for your first six months. That's even ridiculously generous. I mean, that puts it down to $8 a month. You're kidding me. You need to do it for yourself as an executive or a salesperson. Openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service that's overcharging you or that doesn't have this incredible feature set, they'll put it over for you. If you're thinking about phone numbers, I just want you to think openphone.com slash twist. That easy, folks. So I would like to give advice. I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, and I've been thinking about it in relation to the very scary recession we're going into. Mm -hmm. yeah. Having lived through two recessions and in both recessions, having had to lay people off, I'm determined to not have to do that this time. Yeah, yeah. So for inside employees and launch employees listening, as the boss, I am monitoring things. I keep cash in the bank. I keep myself cashed up. I'm very conservative in my lifestyle. You don't see me flying private, even though I arguably could. I, I don't do certain things because I try to keep cash reserves high so that I don't ever have to deal with laying people off. Mm -hmm. But we're all thinking it, right? Yeah. Oh my God, what happens if advertising takes a hit? What if the economy is thrown in for two years? Will you have to lay people off? Will our company be one of those companies? So I always think about, well, how do you avoid that? Well, one, you keep revenue uh, high and you have to have efficiency high. So now we're all if we start thinking of ourselves as a team, which in my later life, you know, I've really started to look at teams and, and team functionality and hanging out with, you know, Draymond a bunch, uh, and watching the Warriors up close and watching that team. I've actually learned a lot from Draymond talking to him about team dynamics, Kevin Durant, staff, it's funny, because like, know, of all, all that stuff, of all people, right? <laughs> I, I've learned more from him about team dynamics yeah. than any business person. I'll tell you that. That's like, the thing people don't understand about him. But yes, mm -hmm. he is that guy. He's, He's the that blue guy. guy, right? Yeah. So I, you know, literally was, you know, talking to him about this the last couple of weeks. So I said, Okay, 
uh, everybody's fear, right? And fear is a big driver of people's behavior. Everybody's fear is, oh my God, pay cuts, layoffs. Am I secure? Is the economy going to be okay? Inflation's going up and layoffs are happening at the same time. How do I play a role in that? Like what, what's going to happen? Okay. Efficiency is what's important. Yeah. And so if you can't hire more people, well, then if we're each 10% more productive in a 20 person company, it's equivalent of hiring two more people. Mm-hmm. Does anybody think listening to my voice right now that there is a way for them to be 10% more productive in their lives? What do you think, Molly, <laughs> if you ask 20 people, could you be 10% more productive? How many people would say, sure, I think I could be 10% more productive. I'm not sure exactly how but could right. I like 90%? Ninety people would say that, yeah, yeah. I mean, almost I mean, nobody. It's like the human brain, right? That what do they say? You only you only use twenty percent <laughs> exactly. So there is of your brain. There is no right. world in which everybody could not be ten percent more productive. And in right. fact, I think over if you became, I think everybody could probably be ten percent more productive a month. I think they could be ten percent more productive a month for multiple months in a row. Mm-hmm. So, how do you become more productive? Training, professional training technical training, those two things alone, just basic training, if you invest in training, everybody's gonna get 10, 20, 30% more effective. What have you seen me do over the last 30, 60 days? Yep, training, 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 totally. training everybody. Then what's and another it might way? reduce productivity in the short term, right? Because you spend oh, a lot of, of time up front on training. Yeah. It's an investment. Yeah. Right. And it matters. And it matters. Okay, it so you off. do a little training. Then I did my research, it turns out, there's a group of people who do something called time blocking. And this is where I'm going to get I'm circling back to work from home, and that whole standoff. Yeah, but then there is time blocking on calendars. And yeah. then there's reporting on what you're doing. Uh, and, and having intentionality about your day. So there turns out there's something called time blocking. This is where you put like something that falls through the cracks, maybe in your day to day. And so one of the things that's always fallen through the cracks here at This Week in Startups is checking the Slack and checking the community groups that we have tried to do. So I said to the team, hey, uh, this has fallen through the cracks. Just want everybody to put 20, 15 minutes, I think I said, on their calendar every day for one week and just go to the Twitter group that we started and just interact there. I saw delightfully yesterday that uh, Nick is out, but Rachel and Justin and myself went in there. You can jump in there too, Molly. Um, if you have time to time block, even if it's five minutes to just say hi to the fans. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all did it. And everybody's interacting all of us. So right. there's more questions coming in. So the power of time blocking is really interesting. But then I realized there's another time blocking thing. And me as a boss, I asked everybody on my teams to share their calendar with me. I started going through them. I noticed a trend. Some of the most productive people have calendars that have time blocking on them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, my Lord. What a really interesting uh, thing. And then I saw some people maybe who are younger in their careers, they don't even know what time blocking is. Yeah. So as but another example, I said to well, Rachel, let's explain may- too, we mean oh, yeah, like, okay. not just so I use time blocking for focus time. I also use it for things that are in my life that have to occur so that everybody knows like this is pick up, this is drop off, that kind of thing. Yeah, but parenting. you can be parent. Well, yeah, but also like parenting during work hours, right? Like, hey, yes. this is gonna, uh, this is I, happening. Yeah, some people literally like I and I encourage them like you need to put exercise on your calendar. Yeah, you need to I put, just started that. Like, it's really, it's actually really important. And it's How not do you only well 40 days last year, I skied 40 days because I put on my calendar, you block it off you know, every day 12 to three, don't put meetings here, I'm going to try to get on the mountain in that window. 
right uh, and do two hours is what i was doing and then and i had, kind of i'll do meetings until 7 30 so I, I opened my meeting window after that right uh, totally yeah. and the thing is that it's sort of like this is where I'm like obsessed with make a list of everything that you do every day, because then you start to realize the things you do every day that you didn't think were work mm. that could be on your calendar as work. Yes. Like if you're a person who like most of what I do here is talk here and then have meetings. And yes. I found myself in the trap of like almost every salesperson or EVP that I know who like has meetings all day. And then is like, I have a lot of work to do at yes. night because they're like, yes. I didn't do any work today. I just talked. Right all mm. day long and so then it turns out that there's work you have to do like after we have an investment meeting with somebody or a founder take meeting notes. you gotta like organize your notes not just take yes. them but yes. put them all in the right place like how and share them with people and come to a determination do you want to move this company on to the next step that takes right. a decision making time right yep. so it's post meeting exactly. time there's post meeting uh, time then there's yeah. decision time then there's okay. time to answer emails all of that can be a calendar entry yes and so you don't want to put silly stuff on there you know but having some intentionality, what this makes you think about as an individual, I found was what, what actually am I here for? What's the priority in my job? Right. Clearly, the priority in your job is to and my job to be on air and to do this podcast six days a week. Then mm -hmm. there's another piece meeting with the companies. But there is another piece, which is also, hey, we have to make a decision about these companies. So if I'm taking a 20 minute introductory meeting, which we all know goes to the 30 or 40, there needs to be another 10, 20 minutes for me to organize my notes. Yep. So it's really even with a 20 minute introductory call, it's probably an hour That's of an total hour. work. Yep. Yeah, and totally. it, it goes to a half hour. And there might be another half hour, or maybe 15 minutes of writing it all down. And there might be 15 minutes of prep for the next call. So you mm -hmm. put all this together. The thing I realized was, as a manager of a business, my anxiety went way down, because I realized, wait, there's some more resources to capture here. And maybe I haven't done the best job telling people what the priority is. So if people do time blocking, Mm -hmm. uh not in an egregious like you know i'm doing email for this hour i'm doing email for this hour i'm doing email for this hour it's like okay email and slack like there are some jobs where you got to get through a lot of emails actually mine is one of them because my I emails many hours i put literally friday afternoons of email oh really yeah the so, whole like i try to have no meetings on a friday afternoon because yeah otherwise you're literally drowning you've been introduced to seven great companies by other vcs and you have no this clue because it's thing. on page yeah. three of the inbox you know yeah so so getting through i was about that was exactly where i was going coming off the past which is my email Sorry. box has the next 50 companies we need to meet with so i do need to get in there for half an hour every yeah. day um and of just sort course. them i mean it's literally just sorting them do i know the person who introduced me do i need to respond all that stuff yeah so putting this all together i just had this great realization that there is a way for this to work for both parties managers always have this fear that people are not doing their job and that fear comes not from the 80 percent of people who are doing a great job in your company and all like that it comes from the 10 percent who are bad actors who are off and not doing their job please tweet bleep out the f word my mom listens and then the other 10 percent are people who are just inefficient and maybe in your company it's 60 20 20 who knows what the percentage yeah. is but that's the fear you as a team member should know about what bosses are thinking of that's why they make a snap decision like everybody come to the office. That's why or right. three days a week, because they want to know at least they have some engagement going on. And there are other reasons to be in the office, like physically making products that are physical in the real world and collaboration and relationship building. But put it aside for a second. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about getting rid of that fear that managers have. There's a very super uh, easy task for this, which is if you're intentional about your calendar, you share your calendar with your boss and you say, hey, look, here's what I'm working on. Does this sync with you? Because I looked at our team here and I realized like, 
the booking of gas or researching of gas, it always seems to fall way behind on the priority. So I said, Rachel, I don't want you on air for the show when we're taping. Mm -hmm. We'll have another pretty, we only need one producer to be on air while we're taping. Right. You, the second the show notes are done at 10 a.m., get off the show for this week, three hours of researching guests. I just want you to find us guests, rank them, and get to 10 a day. In one week, you'll have 50. And then I want you to tell us the five to 10 best. And I was actually going to ask you, Molly, to time bank maybe on a Friday, a little mentoring there of half an hour. Maybe you look at her results and say, hey, here's what I think of these guests. And maybe you yep. pick your favorites and I'll put a half hour. Here's what I think. Or maybe we'll just do it all together. No, we so, have that. We, she and I have that half hour schedule. We have that tomorrow. We have that. Oh, it's on my perfect. calendar. It's on, it's on awesome. our calendar for tomorrow. So, We're doing it after the show. <laughs> so here, and this, so this is also for managers. You have to look at your business and say, hey, what's not hitting the notes that you think you need to hit to succeed? Great guests, obviously a big part of this. Yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, this week you do that. Next week, uh, Justin will switch into that position and then Nick will and write us a night tight best practices page and we'll iterate on that. And then yeah. that'll be training. Because each person has a different way of finding great guests. So anyway, I, this is a long way of saying I'm examining everybody's uh, productivity. And through this different techniques like time banking and, you know, time blocking. And did I do a good job as a manager giving the instructions as to what's important, so that we don't have to hire a ton of people. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to increase expenses into what could be a possible recession where revenue could be going down. Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, and as an employee, if you do think we're in a recession, this is a great way to avoid uh, layoffs or to make the company stronger. And mm-hmm. if management can start management and employees start looking at it as a team, we want to win. And the analogy here is if you look at the Warriors, they don't think about who scores the most points. They think about, you know, how crisp of a pass can they make? How can they break down defenses? What's the most optimal shot they can take? Not mm-hmm. what's optimal for me, what's the most optimal shot? And so that's what I'm trying to think about as a leader for me is am I creating in our organization the optimization that we need? And, you know, that whole discussion we had about the QS, I'll, I won't tell people what that is, because I consider it a competitive advantage, but the QS project we've been working on for the last 30 days. Mm-hmm. Did you see the massive uplift in productivity? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, this thing's going to be like a machine that directly came from watching the Warriors and how they pass the ball. I was mm. just thinking the ball needs to move. Yep. It's about the speed of the ball. It's not about the individual contributors ability to shoot or not like sure you want Steph to shoot. But Clay can shoot Draymond can shoot Wiggins can shoot. They got a lot of Jordan Jordan. Can, there's a lot of people can shoot on that team. Just move the ball around. That's what's yeah. important is the speed for that. But for us, it's the TTM, which I won't tell what that is. But that speed is what's the equivalent of the ball movement. Yep. So here ends it the yeah. lesson. Here ends the lesson. We're all in it together. If you're a founder of a company, this is this week in startups. If you're a founder of a company, start reviewing the calendars with your team and you have to just give them the disclaimer up front. I'm not doing this to micromanage you. I'm right. doing this so you're 10%, 20% more productive. So we get the equivalent of, you know, 10%, 20% more employees. And where this hits the, the rubber meets the road is if an employer can feel that you're working but eight hours a day, what you're getting paid consistently and efficiently, then the whole discussion about working from home becomes like almost an afterthought. Right. I know you're productive. Right. Uh, and, and we're working ideal. on your productivity together. We're collaborators on your productivity. If you're a startup, you know you have to save where you can. I'm talking time, I'm talking money, and I'm talking bandwidth. That's why we love Coda. Coda is one document to rule them all. And here is a quick example. 
my guy Prash just made a beautiful template for investor updates that you can go and duplicate right now at thisweekinstartups.com slash investor updates. Why should you send investor updates? Well, the more informed your investors are, the more engaged they will be in your startup. That means they're going to help you find other investors. They're going to invest more money themselves. Those are the two most critical factors. And maybe they'll help you find customers or help you with an exit. That's why you want to keep investors up to date. But people don't know what should go in an investor update. Well, we made a template. And Coda has a ton of templates. And you can just duplicate a template and get to work right away. It's almost like they do half the work for you. Coda works right out of the box. It's completely customizable. Your text and your tables live together in the same document, which means all your valuable data, objectives, and strategies are in one place. And it's nice and clean. Nothing gets lost. And your team is literally on the same page. So join the productivity revolution and sign up for Coda today. Head to coda.io slash twist to sign up and get a $1,000 credit. That's coda.io slash twist for $1,000 off. Mm -hmm. That I think, I don't know, you tell me what you think of my, you know, performance on this uh, objectively and the just concept writ large in relation to go back to work in an office because we don't know if you're working or not. Right, exactly. Like, I think that there is, I appreciate a lot the recognition that going to the office becomes a shorthand for productivity. And that's not always the case, you know, that every organization, no matter what, has hitters and sitters. And (laughs) sitters, I like it. I think I just made that up. Actually, I've never heard that before. Hitters and sitters. Yeah. And it's sort of figuring and and frankly, there are some roles where you need hitters. And there are some roles where it's okay to Mm. have a bit of a sitter, but when you're in a downturn, you need them to stand up. And so yeah. the question is how you get them to do that. And I think mm-hmm. like th- that there's no question that trying to understand where the misses are. Yeah. And, you know, my only note to you would be mm-hmm. to say all of the things you just said up front before you're like, give me your calendars. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because then do, no one I'll knows why. Job of that. Yeah. So in our meeting in like an hour. Yeah. That, that would be a great thing to set up the way you just said it because yeah. that there's yeah. nothing about that that doesn't make sense and there's nothing about that that doesn't include the fact that like what we're really trying to do is say what are we wasting time on that's and, really the point you know and what can really we be optimizing point. for because there's yeah. probably something in every organization i encounter this all the time there's something your boss told you to do three yeah. years ago yeah still doing and you're still doing it like yeah. a nice squirrel on a hamster Two on a hours wheel. a week yeah you're spending two hours a week doing that, Three but years, the priorities hours have wasted. changed. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Your boss's priority has changed. The the goals have changed. The market yeah. has evolved. You're still spending 300 hours a year on that thing. Yeah. So once in a while, we got to go look at the wheel. Yeah. And yeah. figure out which which routes we're running that we don't need to be running. And that's like exactly what we're, With, we're trying to do now. And it's great. And there should I, be a goal in mind. There are OKRs in mind at the end yeah. of the... If, if I think if every company did this... Professional training, I think you get 10% better a month for three or four months sustained, no problem. Definitely. Five to 10% better. Uh, then you look at time blocking and just time management and efficiency there. Maybe depending on the person, it's one to 10%. Uh, anyway, you put these two things together. If the two numbers can equal between training and, you know, time management, 10, and, and then there's a third, which is clarity of the goals. Yes. So those three pieces, clarity of goals, your own personal time management, uh, and training, let's say they get you five, but 5% better each month, it's 15% better, 15% better compounded because of the rule of 72, you divide that 15 into 72. Uh, you're going to get uh, like four point something, right? Five, yeah. basically, uh, it means in five months, you'll be twice as good. You'll be twice as efficient. Yeah. Now that seems crazy. It's actually true. 
It's yeah. actually true. If you actually compound being better at your job with training, you could be twice as good in six months. Of course. Like think yeah. of a chef. You know, some chef is making food. They could, they could make it twice as good, twice as fast if they got 15% better every month. It's just obvious. So compounding growth is the lesson. And, uh, you know, this all came up because there was, I guess, some leaked uh, emails from Elon to his management team that he, you know, he's building real products in the world. Uh, anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum. And I mean a minimum of 40 hours per week or depart Tesla. This is less than we ask of factory workers. The factory workers obviously are putting in probably 50 hours a week. Um, and then a follow-up email, mm -hmm. the key graph was, um, there are, of course, uh, this is Elon, I guess, made, did a follow-up email to be super clear. Mm -hmm. He's being clear as a manager as well. There are, of course, companies that don't require this. But when was the last time they shipped a great new product? I think he's talking about Apple uh, or Google, maybe. Uh, but then they're both coming back to work. I mean, they haven't plenty, come back to work. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while. I think he's probably talking to Apple uh, about Apple there. Tesla ha has and will create actually. <laughs> Apple, will, come on. It's been decades. Like they're just iterating. They have been. They've been iterating. I give them credit for AirPods on the watch. Yeah, AirPods on the watch are great. They are accessories to the iPhone. I okay. Yeah, I think you're. I right, mean, you know actually. my belief on this, right? Like Apple revolves around the sun, and the sun is the iPhone. I, you know, I do think, and they make the, great accessories to the iPhone, but I don't yeah. know that. Like, I mean, I, the watch. I think by version six or seven, which is what I when I was, I finally got rid of my Fitbit. Like Apple was being beaten by Fitbit, <laughs> yeah. which was like a deprecating product that nobody was paying attention to for many years. Like yeah. you didn't see many changes in it. It was still a better product than Apple watches. The Apple watch, I think is on par with the Fitbit now. Um, but you know, to what Elon says here is there are, of course, companies, but well, great. Tesla yeah. has, and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful products of any company on earth. This isn't, will not be happening by phoning it in. So I think there's something different going on here. You know, he is actually building the stuff too. They're not outsourcing the building of this to some factory, which Apple does, right? Apple has contract manufacturers who make their stuff. Yeah. So I understand I think Elon's point of view here. Whatever your company 100%. was, yeah. if you are like, we can only accomplish this this way. Yeah. Then make that clear to your employees, and that's the deal. Yeah. But I think managers are going to have a tendency. People are going to have a tendency reading this email to be like, oh, "I too can only accomplish that my thing this way," and that may not be true for your company because you don't make cars or spaceships. I, I, exactly. Right. And like so I, figure I think, out what your yeah. product is and how your team can get it done and evaluate it, and you might find that. 80% of your people need to be in the office. I don't know, right? I think we're still, that's we'll still really out. an open question. Like, yeah, it's, it's going to, it's going to be, and then there's this other thing, there's competition for employees. Um, and so it, I've seen in companies that are remote at the early stages, their costs go down and the time to fill positions go down. Yep. Um, and their product shipping goes up in a software company specifically. So um, now, Will it make the most refined, great products? That's going to be another question. So it certainly is really hard to relocate people. Mm -hmm. You know, you hire an iOS developer and they start, you know, in two weeks, they resign, they start in two weeks and they're working from anywhere and they work for a third less than the one in Silicon Valley needs to. And the one in Silicon Valley is commuting two hours a day and they are less productive and hate their life. Like you can see how this works out, right? So it, totally. it's going it, to, I think that's the way we'll hash out. What I think is it's going to be different strokes for different founders. Um, yeah. And right now, I, I gave it a lot of thought over the last couple of months as things reopened. Do I want to move back to an in-person thing? And I was like, for me, I think I want to try for the next year, uh, four times a year getting together and doing like serious 
team building, professional development for four days or five mm -hmm. days. And so I guess yeah. the working for me is going to be you have four weeks away from your family a year, which is not insignificant, right? right. It's going to be a significant amount of time away. From, I mean, it, it's insignificant compared to going to an office, right? But it's insignificant for never going anywhere. So I think that's going to just be the balance I'm going to try to do, which is, yeah, you know, it's 20 days away from your family a year out of 365. It's a lot less than, you know, uh, going to an office every day. So there, yeah, I think so. Folks. A lot of rambling thoughts. So many thoughts. Such a long show for you today. And Sorry. next up is our great interview, which also yeah. went longer than we expected with yes. Drone Up founder and CEO Tom Walker. So don't be tired because this yeah. is totally worth you got it. A lot of show. Just, you know, do what I did. I went on the treadmill this morning. You got an Obi-Wan episode out tomorrow. Lon Harris is on the show. We'll go through the three Obi-Wan episodes. And I think we have two Star Trek. Two Star Trek. Also, I two started Trek. watching Winning Time about oh, the building you know, of the Showtime Lakers. I want to start watching that. I heard it's great. Uh, it you got to watch that. It's great. I'm okay. one episode in. It's fantastic. Maybe we'll so add, we might that have after, to add that to the docket. Yeah. So tomorrow we'll whip through the first three episodes of Obi-Wan and the first two episodes of the new Star Trek. Or is it three episodes of Star Trek? I'm not sure. Oh, God. I don't know. I better go look. Yeah, we better check. Somebody, some, I better put, some producer. I better put Star Trek on my calendar today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, time block. Yeah, no, that's on your time, Molly. Not my time. That better not be during the day. All right, next up on the show, Molly and I were talking about drone delivery, and we were super excited that, unbeknownst to us, in America, Walmart is shipping stuff uh, with a company called Drone Up, and it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I also got somebody from Ireland who's running a test, by the way, Molly, who said, uh, hey, you know, your premise that my premise was during that dr that drone up talk uh, here at Walmart was that this would work in the countryside really well, like, you know, uh, and that maybe cities were too dense. Uh, so it would kind of go least dense to most dense. But he said, hey, actually, we're in a kind of a dense suburb. And he showed me a picture in Ireland of, you know, tens of thousands of flights that had been done for mm -hmm. delivery. And so... Apparently, these um, deliveries are starting to happen in less populated, but somewhat populated areas. It's real. So we got pretty excited about this, but we also had a lot of just like logistical questions about the logistics of this. Uh, and so thank you to producer Justin, who just went out and got us the CEO of Drone Up, Tom Walker, who uh, is has a long history in super interesting things related to this did web development uh, in the late 90s through 2017 was in the Navy as a web systems officer and nuclear power plant operator. And then now uh, has started drone up which has raised $13 million last closed a $5 million round in November in November 2021. Walmart is an investor. And now these drones are in the air. Welcome to the show, Tom. Uh, thank you for having me. And thank you for your service, uh, nuclear power plant yeah. operator, uh, and in the Navy. So thanks so yeah, much. You can tell I have a PhD. I've done a little bit of have everything. Have you seen Top Gun? I think that's my really most important question. Did you go I see Maverick? It, I saw it Sunday at lunch uh, with uh, with my family. I did finally. And what'd you think? What'd you think? Um, I didn't think they could make one better, and and they did. Right? Wow! I oh totally my God, agree. I'm getting so much FOMO. I'm waiting go. for my daughter to come back from a trip she's on to see it with her. I'm probably going to see it Thursday night, but I am so, so excited. It's I'm only so the third, like second that. or third movie I've ever been to in my life where the audience gave an applause. Mm. So, yeah. wow. I know we, we had that experience too. People were cheering. I saw it twice this weekend because I'm a giant nerd, but I'm glad that you liked it. I saw it with an Air Force buddy. 
who was pretty impressed, even though obviously it was hard for her because Navy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But she still she appreciated her dad was a Navy pilot. Okay, we are uh, way off topic now. We're, right we're off really topic. excited to talk about drones. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we we have a lot of questions. How many Walmarts are currently actively delivering stuff? Like what is the state of this? Because when when we hear about this technology five, six, seven, eight years ago. Everybody was like, hey, this is going to happen. Then there was a 60 Minutes episode, if you remember, where Amazon showed it. And then it kind of went away for four years. And we were all sitting here going, we were promised Starbucks, you know, cups delivered and, you know, our medicine. And yeah, we see things in Africa where people are doing the fixed wing, you know, delivery of blood and parachutes. Like it's a very cute situation. They don't have river, they don't have bridges and roads that can easily get this blood or medicine to places. So we, we kind of expect, I think, as consumers and technologists, okay, the most acute situations where people really need the technology is uh, happening, but we didn't actually weren't aware that this is happening. So what's what's the actual state? How many deliveries were done yesterday? How many stores have done it? I don't have the exact count yesterday. I would, I would assume uh, dozens uh, were completed yesterday. But uh, where we are right now is uh, we're open in two locations. So we're in Farmington, Arkansas, and in Bentonville. Um, and over the course of the next several months, we'll be opening up 32 additional locations. So we'll be operating in six states um, and, and in multiple cities. Each city that we'll be operating in will have a minimum of three locations. There's some logistical reasons why we do that. Um, but by the end of the year, um, yeah, the goal is to have uh, 34 fully operational. Um, and then uh, we're already planning for 2023. You're headquartered in Arkansas, right? We're headquartered in Virginia Beach. Oh, in Virginia um, Beach, sorry. Interestingly enough, I grew up in Arkansas in a really small town in southern Arkansas. And when I left, and I, grew, I left and at 16 and said, I'm never coming back to the state. And, and it's like the mob, it just dragged me back. And then I realized, wow, northwest Arkansas is actually a really nice place. And, and I didn't, I didn't realize, it, realize how nice it was. So uh, we, we do have an office there, but we, we remain headquartered in Virginia Beach. Gotcha. H- how do consumers actually interface with the product are people being invited or if you have that walmart can you just click a button and say drone delivery and then how do you communicate what happens next to a consumer and know were they pre-invited because you've looked at google maps and see they have a big enough backyard how does one opt into drone delivery in arkansas yeah we like to say we're we're, we're one of the only companies if not the only company that's doing store-to-door delivery seven days a week 12 hours a day and it's not limited to a handful of SKUs. It's not limited to any particular. I mean, obviously, within a mile, mile and a half of the store, obviously, is our range right now. Talk about why maybe later. But so you go right now, you go to droneupdelivery.com and you enter your address. And it basically says whether you're eligible for drone delivery. Um, and now right now that that's separate uh, over the course of the next uh, several months, that'll be integrated into the Walmart experience so that you won't have to kind of have two different experiences. But it's 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 like any typical e-commerce order. You go, you put in your address. It checks a lot of conditions. It checks the current your location and where you are in the delivery area. It checks current weather. It checks if, if there are any type of issues going on. Uh, like first responder activity that can interfere. If none of those things are blockers for you being able to get delivery, then you can go on and, and search through the catalog. Um, you know, there's typically anywhere between 10 and 20. And in some of our larger stores, 30,000 items that are available for delivery. Uh, you place the order. 
and pay for the order. Uh, once the order is placed, when in typically in about 20 to 22 minutes, the package is delivered on your back porch uh, while we're en route. You get notified that the drone is en route. Please have all the you know children and pets and, and grandma in the house. And then once the drone is overhead, it lowers down to about 80 feet. Um, it is visually inspected to make sure the area is clear. And then the product is gently lowered to the ground. The drone stays at 80 feet and the product is gently lowered to the ground set on the back porch and leave. And, and in fact, because we stay at that high altitude, we've actually had people uh, let us tell us that uh, they didn't even realize the drone had, had shown up and delivered the product. So it's not noisy. It's not loud. It's not invasive. Wow. So what, can we back up to like sort of your origin story? What made you get into this space and, and make, you know, inroads, inroads into Walmart this quickly? Well, um, yeah, I got into the space because I, I, I was in Best Buy one day and, and, and they had these drones for sale and I started researching them and, and, I, and it was, I was so enthralled that for less than a, a couple thousand dollars, you could buy something in Best Buy that had more technology on it than the space shuttle did at the time. And, and, and so I, I actually bought one, took it home and crashed it the very first day. But it was the information that the manufacturer shared with me in terms of how to analyze what had happened and what we had done. And I, I realized, wow, these are very, very powerful. And I, I, I believed and, and my colleagues believed at the time that drones were going to have an impact on society, positive or negative. And we wanted to make sure that we could do our best to ensure that it was positive. Mm. So what I, I have so many pragmatic, like simple questions about yeah, this, how this like, works. <laughs> here, here's one. Um, how do you decide what route to take to somebody's house? Because I great. was thinking that these things would be great for cities, including VTOLs, you know, the ones that carry humans, the vertical takeoff. I was thinking, wow, if you're, if you're in a, um, uh, a city by the bay, like we are in the Bay Area or Sydney or New York with a lot of waterways, you can just fly these things over the water. If they fall out of the sky, which is everybody's big fear, safety, it just hits the water. No, no harm, no foul in all likelihood. The chances of it hitting a, a boat are very low. So right. what route do you take? Do you go? I was thinking maybe you go along the highway so that if it falls, it hits a car and that's more safe than not hitting a car. But maybe that's disastrous. So you go over, you, you plot routes that are over farmland. How, how do you route these for safety? I'm assuming. It's a really, it's a really good question. We don't do any routing. So our software is completely autonomous. So the only mm -hmm. thing that we tell the drone is the address and it knows where it's taking off. And hmm. so it dynamically builds a route based on a lot of things. Number one is uh, there are certain areas that are flagged in the system to not fly over. Don't fly over moving vehicles. Don't fly over people. Hmm. Don't fly over schools. Don't fly over parks. Don't fly over churches. So you're hmm. right. Water routes, we, our, our system will automatically take those routes. Uh, if there's not a water route, it'll tend to take rooftop routes because these things are not that heavy. So if they go down and hit a roof, they might do some shingle damage, but they're probably not going to hurt anyone. Uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 and yes, there is a possibility somebody could be standing on a roof, but those generally that doesn't happen. Um, and, and, and it also detects cell phones from the ground. We don't know who it is or, or, or that type of data, but we can actually detect cell phone signals from the ground. If we see a conglomeration of, of three or more cell phones, it'll dynamically route around them. So it's never, it's always wow. attempting to obviate flight over people. And then it's using different altitudes and different directions. One other thing we take into consideration is environmental conditions. If we're carrying a package, we would certainly like the wind 
uh, we like the tailwind. It makes it more efficient when we're returning. We'll, we'll fly into the wind. And then we'll also adjust altitudes based on what the most efficient flight altitude is um, for that particular area or environmental uh, uh, situation. That is fascinating. All that is happening automatically yeah. with software. So if a, somebody's having a backyard party or they're having a party in a park and there's 100 cell phones there, it's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't fly over 100 cell phones. Pretty reasonable idea. That is incredible. What is the height they fly at and what is the speed they fly at? And why do you pick certain heights or speed? Um, so we, we have to stay below 400 feet um, always because that's FAA regulations. There are certain areas that have different flight ceilings like around airports and other things that have different flight ceilings. We typically like to travel about between 180 and 200 feet is our travel altitude mm -hmm. and then lower down and deliver from 80. We can deliver from as high as 200, but for efficiency purposes, we like to lower down to 80 feet. It gets us in and out of there in under a minute. Uh, the reason that we chose that that particular altitude is we burn the most energy on takeoff and landing because you think about uh -huh. these things they're taking off. So the higher we go, we we're burning a percent, two percent every ten or fifteen feet. So two hundred feet is good because when we're flying over neighborhoods, especially when we're flying at night and it's quiet, uh, they can barely hear it. It's it's much quieter even than an aircraft flying over. Uh, so it's low enough for efficiency, but high enough to make, ensure the sound profile is uh, is not obtrusive. Yeah, like how much reserve battery is built into plotting every route? Because I would imagine that would be a concern if you find, oh, there is that party in the park and we got to make a pretty big detour. Battery it's seems like the biggest limiter. It's absolutely. I mean, right now in our operation, our two biggest costs are people and batteries uh, mm -hmm. because we're, we're, we, we, we tend to keep that battery percentage reserve higher than it probably should be uh but we operate very very cautiously now we have to i mean you know we, we we've got to maintain the record of safety and demonstrate to the communities and to the regulators that we can do this safely so we're we're probably more cautious in terms of the number of personnel available and let's uh, and uh and and in, and in terms of uh the battery percentage but you got to remember too we're always dynamically rerouting so we're keeping about 40 percent, 35 to 40 percent reserve on the batteries because the other thing that we do is if we detect a first responder activity. So if our system gets notified that there's a, a, a 911 call at a particular address or in a particular area or, you know, a fire dispatch uh, into a particular area, all of the drones that are in the air will dynamically reroute and deconflict with each other. So there's continual rerouting going on, whether it's information on the ground, whether it's additional data coming in. Or if we sense a low-flying aircraft uh, from ADSB, uh, we'll automatically adjust the entire operating fleet's altitude down just to maintain a, a, a large margin of safety. Do, do the drone companies all coordinate drone activity yet on a central database in some way? I know planes have, you know, devices on them to let you know. I was actually in a small aircraft when a beacon went off and we looked off to the left and sure enough, there was somebody flying who didn't see us and we had to take in a you know, slightly evasive maneuver. That, I don't know what those are called in, in small aircraft, but do, do drones have a similar system where they're aware of each other? Uh, and is there like some database of this? Like, hey, there's drone activity in this area. So if, a com if another commercial drone operator or a police department was putting up a drone, I guess you would know because of the 911 call. But if, I don't know, a drone club, you know, at a high school has five drones in the air, how do you know that you're not going to have drones crash into each other? Yeah, that's one of the issues that our industry is trying to, to resolve now. So, for example, we have ADSB 
in. So ADSB is what the airplanes use to let everybody know who they are, where they are, uh, you know, basic information about them. Uh, the FAA regulations say that drones can use ADSB in so we can hear mm. the manned aircraft around them. Now, that's also making the assumption that they all have it and they don't. Some of the smaller right. private aircraft do not have ADSB yet. But uh, but we can't squawk, so they don't. The, the planes don't have a way of knowing where we are yet. One of the things that is that's 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 coming is what's called remote ID, and that's going to be a new requirement for operating drones in the U.S. Where you are basically transmitting uh, your location and and some f- some basic fundamental details to create that picture that you're talking about. One of the things that we did uh, last year was we acquired AirMap, which is a UTM, unmanned traffic management platform uh, that's being used in, in several places around the world. And one of the things that we do is we put all of our flights into that system and we share that system. So anybody, public safety or, or, or the Department of Aviation or the FAA, they can see Uh, they can see where all of our flights are. And then the other thing that we're doing to try to help promote commercial growth and collaboration uh, is we are basically allowing any of the commercial operators that are operating the same place to go in and reserve their volumetric airspace. So if they say, I need to do a commercial operation here, we let them go in and reserve that airspace. And then we dynamically route all of our delivery traffic around that space so that those commercial operators can continue to do uh, their operations and 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 by doing that in certain areas where there'll be a high concentration uh, of operators, uh, we think that that database until remote ID is is more fundamentally set, um, we think that that will create that kind of picture airspace picture that you're talking about. We have That's, to do that yeah. because all of our systems will deconflict our, our our aircraft. Most of the operators that we're, you know, seeing on the other side or theirs will deconflict, but we, we have to be able to deconflict each other. So you're, you're building. Creating, go ahead, Molly. We're probably going to say the same thing. I mean, it sounds like what you're creating is air traffic control for drones so that not only are you the delivery network, but you're the provider potentially of this future logistical hub for managing all of this traffic. Well, if you want to think over the horizon a little bit, I mean, uh, you, um, you, you've got our drones operating in the air you've got some of them are doing deliveries some of them are doing drone services you've got other drone operators in the air uh public safety and so forth and then let's think of head just a little bit to urban air mobility when now you've got air taxis in the air and then that means you've also got air ambulances in the air so it becomes not just a matter of deconflicting the airspace it becomes a matter of prioritization right how mm. do we, if it's an ambulance and they, this is a, you know, a medevac, you know, you've got to be able to clear airspaces and corridors for those uh, folks to move quickly through there. Now, again, that's down the road a little bit, but we, we have to be able to figure out a way to not just deconflict the airspace for safety purposes, but allow certain uh, aspects to continue in certain conditions and certain, uh, certain uh, operations that just have to be stopped at certain times. Yeah. I love the concept, Molly, of there being like lanes. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, you know, Walmart's like, hey, we're going to be taking this lane out and and this lane back. It's almost like a dynamic flight plan where everybody knows, hey, this drone should be in this approximate height, 180 feet. And then if a drone's coming back, maybe the drones coming back are at the odd numbers. So 190, 210, 230, which I think planes do when they're going, I believe, east and west. 
you know, one direction is an even number, 31,000 feet, and the, and, the, and the other direction is 32. So this has been thought of before and thought through. You have so much volumetric space in air that you can actually do really interesting uh, uh, general rules like that. Here's a question, Tom. Are you currently um, monitoring every flight? So because we, we did see you have these like really interesting, almost like a, a tower, but it mm -hmm. looks like it's on some sort of a hinge. And we were guessing what that is. And then you had a platform to watch the drones, I believe, or an operation center. The drones typically have cameras. So during this early period where you're doing dozens a day, eventually become hundreds and thousands, hundreds and probably low thousands in the next year, I'm guessing. Are, are you having operators watch, you know, the item drop, watch the route and just how many humans to drones, you know, watching stuff do you have if you are using humans as safety? Backups? We are. So right now, under current FAA regulations, we have to have a, a, a drone operator maintain visual contact uh, or, or a visual observer. Somebody has to maintain visual contact with the drone at all times. Got it. That is a something that the, the, the industry, the FAA. Capitol Hill, everybody's working on how to what how do we adjust those and and lift the constraint on the industry so that we can kind of cut that back a little bit. Uh, right now, it's one drone operator to one drone. Uh, there are a few of us who have waivers in right now to go one operator to four drones or five drones uh, from a standpoint of being able to scale without having to add that many bodies. Uh, that's going to be necessary. Uh, that is, and it, that is, uh, I think it's 10725. It's a, it's an existing waiver that you can apply for. Um, but the, but so, but our purpose in the tower, it is our air traffic control tower, the thing that you saw that looked like a basically an air traffic, mobile air traffic control tower. The reason that we do that is to give the pilot a better line of sight so that we can send the drone out further. So if you think about it, if you're standing on the ground at five foot, 10 inch eyesight, and the drone it goes out and has to land or has to go down below, you would lose it. You wouldn't be able to go very far. So mm -hmm. we keep the operator's line of sight. The, uh, the operator's eyesight is at 31 feet off the ground. And because the drone can do go down as low as 80, but as high as 100, you can see how that gives us much better view and longer range. And then with, you know, um, in, enhanced lighting and, and other things, we maintain a really good visual on the drone. So can yeah, I, one person watch more than one drone or do you have to have, is it a one-to-one -one equation right, right now? Today it's one-to-one. -one. Uh, they wow. do offer, uh, the FA does approve waivers for that, but you have to prove to them that your software systems, your safety protocols and, and your risk assessments uh, are, are justify allowing you to do so. And, and, and that is one of our active uh, waiver submittals we have right into the FA right now is a, a, a one-to-five uh, waiver mm -hmm. application. And 1.5 miles um, seems extremely doable given the battery. So I would assume part of this is as things get safer, the distance can go. And then eventually, maybe you don't need to have somebody watching every one of them. Maybe you, there's a hundred of them going out. And if they have an issue, that one pops up in front of the operator. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, how does safety, uh, What what is your... Obviously, the goal is to have nobody get ever get hurt and no drones right. to fall out of the sky. Obviously, that's not realistic. Accidents happen. And so I'm guessing, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're looking at delivery accidents that occur in the world in that neighborhood uh, with Amazon or Walmart cars or Ubers or Lyfts These and then comparing tracks, yeah. the UPS and the FedEx drivers and their fender benders and the damage they cause to yours. Is that the benchmark or do you think your benchmark has to be two or three times higher? which is already where Tesla's autopilot is. I think the latest study that came out is like 
uh, Tesla drivers who are in Teslas get in like a third as many accidents as when the same Tesla drivers are in their other cars. So, you know, that was like a very interesting way to study it is not to compare Tesla drivers to other drivers because then you got correlation issues. It's when they're in their gas power cars that they have both. <laughs> they get in more accidents with the gas power ones, which makes sense. It doesn't have the, se the sensor kits. So how are you judging safety? What's a reasonable way to be judged? But how do you think the public is judging you? So that's a really different good question. Judging, yeah. Sections. Um, uh, well, our, our, everything we do is about safety. When, when you hear our conversations, we talk about safety throughout the day. It's a it, it, it's almost become an obsession with us in terms of how often we discuss safety. And one of the things that I say to the new uh, cohort groups that come on when we're getting ready to open a new hub, one of the first things I say when I go walk into the room and one of the last things I say when I walk out is safety over revenues. We will take safety over revenue every single day. If there is any reason that you I don't care if you've been on site five years or you've been on site five minutes. If something doesn't feel right, then we stop the operation. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to do that at first until they realize we weren't kidding. Um, I think there's an enormous amount of pressure on it. We take the responsibility of having this opportunity to help move the industry forward. We take it uh, humbly, but we take the responsibility of operating safely much more serious. And, and we look at that as the real opportunity to put numbers on the board. The problem right now and, 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 and I'm not being pejorative to the FAA when I say this, but we're being held in many ways to the same standards that, that, that crude aviation, uh, and, you know, or, or we used to say manned aviation is held to. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so you start looking at the numbers of serious accidents that have happened by drone over the last three years um, of the handful, the handful, and I want to say five or six serious accidents that have happened that, that somebody was injured. Uh, in every single one of those cases, it was the operator who got injured. I mean, doing something like there was one where the drone just stopped responding. And so the guy decided to reach up and grab it and pull it out of the sky. Bad idea. Mm, yeah. um, and, and, and then another one where the tether, you know, they couldn't rewind the tether. So they tried to pull the drone out of the air using the delivery tether. They're not our people, right? Just want to point out. Yeah. Not, but, us. but it's obviously the real challenge. And this is what I remind everybody is. Yes, we've got a great track record as an industry, but we haven't been flying 100,000 flights a day beyond visual line of sight, carrying packages in disparate environmental conditions and, and other, uh, you know, radio wave signals and things that we, we, we may or may not be aware of. So uh, what we have to do now is take this opportunity while we're in that smaller radius to, like I said, put numbers on the board, demonstrate that we can be safe. Uh, and 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 also have the opportunity to, to deal with some incidents that we've we've had to deal with incidents. I mean, you know, and, and we learned from it. I mean, we when we started in the early days, we were using nine nine hundred fifteen megahertz to is to, to connect to the drones. Now today, we have you know multiple SIM cards operating over LTE with at least two providers and at least two SIMs per provider for reliability plus you know, other types of redundancy that we've built in. And so, so double, I think, du double duplex, wow. even on the connections. Yeah, yeah. that's wow. correct. Yeah. yeah. So I multiple assume. carriers, multiple carriers, multiple SIMs per carrier. That's how we operate. What, what's the, Love what's it. the, what instances have you had that are challenging? You, you, have you lost a drone yet? And uh, yeah, what did you learn from it? So we've only of the, of the, of the, the heavy, you know, duty drones, the ones that are actually in production in the field, we have lost one that was not in the field that was here in the test facility in Virginia beach. Um, 
because, you know, when the man, you know, as we're rolling them out, we think we know what the specs are. But, you know, we have a group here um, inside of, of Drone Up that sole job is to find out what those those uh, limits really are mm. and, and, and what kind of things can go wrong. If, you know, we'll put them in a scenario where we'll say you've got to launch this drone really, really fast. We would never do this in the real world, but stuff like that to see what kind Trust of things test. can go wrong. How do we catch? How do we? How do we catch these in risk cases where somebody might be going a little quickly? Um, and 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 that's what happened with one that we had here. But it was in the test field. It was in the test facility. And I say lost mm. it. I mean it, it it it's being repaired. But but mm. but 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 they did a uh, they did an unplanned uh, 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 altitude. Uh, drop event. Yeah, mm. got it. I really oh, want yes. to come on a field trip and see the drone test pilots push them yeah. to their limits. <laughs> what is this? What is the speed now? And because uh, I mean, I've seen these things back in the early days when they were uncapped. They didn't have limiters on them, and I, I saw right. these things doing 70, 80 miles an hour. I think, and it was terrifying. So, what is the? What is there a limit that the FAA has put on speed? What do you think the right speed limit is? Because uh, it would seem to me that going fast means the shorter the trip, the less, the more safe it is because you have less time in air, less things that can happen. Or is there some sort of curve of speed to safety and there's some optimal speed to safety? Because does going faster make it less safe or more safe because right. it's a shorter trip? I don't know. What have you learned? Um, you know, I think the FAA, we don't go anywhere near the speed right now. So I don't, I think it's a hundred miles per hour. I'll have to confirm that. But, um, yeah. you know, none of us, we maintain about 25 miles an hour is about our maximum flight speed for a variety of reasons that 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 are important. One is efficiency, battery efficiency. Uh, two, well, let's start back with safety. Um, you know, at that speed, there's always the ability to take control, alter route, do whatever. Um, also, at that speed, we found out that at 101,000 flights, we haven't had a single incident with uh, a bird or something flying in the air and that's a big deal for us right because in, when i was in the mm -hmm. navy it was all about coming into port and not hitting a whale here it's all about not hitting a bird it, it, people say well you don't want to hit the bird because it'll it'll bring the drone down it, it might um probably not unless it was a really big bird with the drones that we're operating but it's more about wanting to minimize look the, part of the benefit here is that it we're operating on batteries uh there's you know we're not there's no emissions from the drone so yeah. let's go ahead and be one step safer and let's let's try to do our best to protect the environment and the and the and the critters that were flying there before we were. Mm. Yeah, totally. Right. Um one last sort of big picture question related to all of this, you know, FAA regulations, battery technology, adoption, consumer concern. What do you think that the time horizon looks like for this to be something that is totally commonplace when you're ordering online? You know, if you'd asked me that two years ago, um, I probably would have given you a much different answer than I'm going to give you now. But when we, I think part of the test, I used to joke and tell that two years ago, you had a better chance of getting hit by a stray golf ball in your bathroom than you did the news running a positive story about drones, right? Everything was negative, 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 negative. Yeah. And, and, and when, when the pandemic hit and we were given the opportunity to partner with Walmart on the COVID test kit delivery. Um, I think it was a, an interesting moment for our industry because people were scared. They wanted to know if they had COVID. A lot of them didn't want to get in the car. They didn't want to sit for hours in these lines. So it was the first time for them to be able to order these kits and have them delivered at home and then, and then just drop them in the mail and send them back. Uh, you, 
it was amazing the number of people who had, even during the COVID test kit delivery in Cheektowaga and North Las Vegas and Texas and El Paso, who wouldn't drive up to the store to get tested, but would order the COVID test kit, have it delivered, and then drive to the store to tell us how amazing the experience was. <laughs> and and I think that's when we really started to see a shift and people went, well, they're not loud. They're not noisy. We explained to them, we go in and we do community outreach and we tell them we don't record any video while we're flying. We don't take any pictures. Even we, when we first started, we were taking a picture of the package just to show it's delivered, kind of like an Amazon driver does. So you'll get a picture yeah. that says delivered. We don't even do that. So from the time that we take off to the time we land, we're not recording, we're not taking pictures. Um, and, and we tell the communities this. And I'll tell you in Arkansas right now, um, we have people who drive up to the hub every day um, and, and ask, when are you going to be able to deliver to my house? When are you going to be able to deliver to my house? And, 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 and we'll tell them and they'll come back. But to your question on how, when it's going to be commonplace, um, I think it's going to happen a lot more quickly than people think. I mean, here's what we've got to overcome. We've got three different drones that we're working with right now. We've got these drones right now that you're seeing the pictures of. Those are being replaced next month by another drone. Uh, that'll have about a three to five mile range that out and back um, and, and we'll be able to go a little bit faster. Uh, the next generation drone that's coming out is is not a quad. It's a whole, totally different uh, drone and uh, that's going to have uh, about a 90 minute flight time and it'll be able to travel at about 80 miles an hour. So holy we're cow, that ready. sounds like a super game changer. Pretty awesome. That means you're it, going it is a game changer, away? but the, it's great that we can go that fast and that far. But the problem is, is we're still stuck with regulatory issues, right? Yeah, in order to, yeah. When, yeah, well, yeah. And, and, and because the FAA, you know, we just finished this process with the FAA, but called the Beave Law uh, ARC, uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee, and, 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 and given recommendations. We've got three or four paths that we think are going to crack the door open for going beyond visual on a site. But what I tell the industry and I remind everybody is everybody wants to go be lost. They say, look, our industry would just explode if we could fi fly beyond visual line of sight. And I ask all the time, okay, who, which one of your businesses is not able to scale now because you can't fly be lost? Well, eh, you know, it, and it's it, the reality is nobody's proven that that's limiting what we're doing now by starting to do these deliveries and then hitting a concentration level where if we could go one more mile, we could increase, you know, delivery revenues by 45, 50, 60 percent. And if you've got 200,000 safe flights at a mile or a mile and a half or mile 1.2, give me the chance to go to two. And I think that starts to increase it. And when you think about over 90 percent of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of Walmart, mm -hmm. uh, and you've got basically a couple of hundred thousand SKUs that are designed for the audience that lives around that Walmart, these become distribution centers. Uh, and, and, and that are providing an, an incredible opportunity. And then the last thing I'll say is, uh, we are right now at about 22 minutes from the time you push, place the order until it's delivered. Uh, 70% of that time is trying to get the product out into the drone. And we think yeah. through optimization over the next, uh, 12 months, we'll get that down. And our goal is to be delivering in, in under 15 minutes, um, here in the next, say, eight to 10 months. Well, I mean, eventually, the Walmart will be built uh, such that you or an Amazon facility or whatever facility will be built such that you'll be able to go right up to the roof with the pack of batteries, or, you know, donuts or whatever it is, I'm ordering donuts, 
But those donuts going right up to the roof, <laughs> the operators will be on the roof already. And you will need to build another air traffic controller because it'll be a high enough roof and, and it, the distance will be covered in five minutes. It'll just go straight up to the roof with some they'll other have, like robot, those right? pneumatic tubes like in the old banks and it'll just, you know, <laughs> shoot Something stuff like yeah. that, right? It, it, yeah. There's got to be a better efficiency here in terms Absolutely. of the roof that already exists in these places. Well, right? and, 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 and remember, at some point, you don't necessarily even have to have an operator there with a drone. So once yeah. you can fly beyond visual line of sight, we have another type of operation called telepresent operation. Mm. We actually test that today where we can fly drones from here in Virginia Beach. We can take off mm. and land and fly routes in other countries. And, and wow. obviously, we do it in other countries because it would be a violation of FAA. So we're, we're in safe areas in, 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 in other countries. We take the drones off and fly them from here uh, dynamically. Uh, at some point, once we've proven the viability of these uh, platforms and we've proven that the parachutes work and that, you know, you, your, your, your mean failure rate is one in 150,000 hours, but by maintenance, you mitigate. You, you, once we demonstrate, that's our responsibility as an industry is to to not just prove it to the policymakers, not just prove it to the regulators, but we've got to prove that to the general public. And the best way we can do it is with these controlled, safe operations that we're doing, like we're going to be doing for the rest of this year in communities where they can come out and see it and see how we do business. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just drone up. That's I, I feel the entire industry is working together uh, to try to prove that. And, and we will. Yeah, I mean, it's so obvious to anybody who has even moderately studied this, that drones are safer than cars driving on the road. Anybody who's watched yeah. a delivery driver under yeah. the gun getting paid per delivery is going to know that a human uh, driving a car on the roads is much more dangerous. There's pedestrians, there's other cars uh, and other vehicles to hit. So that's obvious to everybody. And then let's face it, you know, recreational aviation Mm, it's not the safest thing in the world. I mean, every day, uh, sadly, every couple of days, we see a Cessna or a Cirrus or a Pil Pilatus or something goes down here in the United States. The, the, the FAA does incredible job breaking down the a massive amount of user error that happens almost universally. You know this because uh, you're in the field. It's it's an error on takeoff or landing or a maintenance issue. If, if you watch the Blanco Lirio channel on YouTube, uh, which maybe you do or don't, but if you don't, there's a really good channel called Blanco Lirio. And this commercial pilot breaks down every accident right. every day. It's unbelievable. I watch it and I gave him money on Patreon because I'm so obsessed with watching this. It's always the human, whether it's the human in maintenance or the human you know, behind uh, the controls. And you know, when, you, when these drones are going out with the amount of software in them, they're just going to be a thousand times safer than humans at a minimum uh, at this point in time, I think. So and we're really hey, you're right. I mean, it always comes down to decision fun. chain, right? The decision chain. And somewhere along the way, mm -hmm. yes, there may have been a mechanical failure, but it's, it's it, way too often. The, it's either the response to that failure or a series of bad decisions that ultimately end up in most of those. And because autonomy uh, has, has, it has reached the point where it is and the sensors that we have and the safety thing, you know, for example, on, on, on the generation drone that's rolling out now with us, um, if it senses a drop of more than a, a certain amount in a certain amount of time or a tilt or excessive vibration, it has a ballistic uh, parachute that shoots out. It shuts off all of the engines. It disconnects the batteries and it makes this god awful noise. But for a reason, obviously, as it's floating to the ground is right. to try to notify anybody that, hey, because you can't hear it. It's just a, coming out of the air as a parachute. 
But, you know, it lands, you know, softly enough that you take the drone back, you figure out what happened. And it, it doesn't it doesn't it, it wouldn't it wouldn't create the type of havoc that a, a 170, you know, two or 182 yeah. uh, coming down in the same condition would. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> understatement no, of the yeah. Yeah, century <laughs> like these th- th- we had a pilot here, you know, he's, he's not um, uh, able to uh, fly in fog or whatever. All he had to do recently, just crash into the headlands here in San Francisco, tragically, was going out for a lunch ride from Sacramento to Half Moon Bay. And all he had to do was just go up. But he was afraid to call, you know, uh, call in a um, a mayday. And he didn't want to fly up, apparently. And if he had just flown up, he wouldn't have hit the mountain. Instead, he just did a corkscrew until he hit something. And it's just these crazy tragedies. As you're saying, humans don't follow the protocols. They have all kinds of biases. The machines follow the protocol, they almost universally make the right decision. Something's wrong, you lose a rotor, you pop the parachute, you, you, you live to fight another day. Humans are embarrassed. So many pilots have died because of just the sheer embarrassment of, you know, oh, I, I need help. Uh, it, it seems like the hubris is, you know, you know, a, a significant percentage of the of the problems humans are making here, just and also being human. <laughs> Right. Poor suboptimal decision making. Um, yeah. Listen, this has been amazing. I could talk to you all day. Yeah, this is fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited that you're doing this, Tom. Uh, and we can't wait. Cities? That's what, a decade yeah. away, you think? I know. Where are we in the cities part of this? Yeah. I put in my address already, even though I knew better. <laughs> kind of yeah, in the it, verbs. You shouldn't it's kind of funny. What they call People say, is this better in rural? Is this mm-hmm. better in, in, in urban? Yeah. Is this better? You know, it's it, it's in between. Because if you're too rural, then there's not enough density around you within your delivery radius for it to make right. economic sense. Um, but when you're when you're in cities, then what you end up with is a lot of multi-dwelling, um, uh, you know, family dwelling issues. And how do you deliver to them? We have a solution that we're going to be rolling out in Q4 this year that we're pretty excited about, which will allow drone delivery to uh, condos, hotels, uh, campuses, mm. um, and and so we'll be doing that. But the, the issue with cities is we're not ready for that yet. And yeah, that's yeah, one of yeah. the things I think our industry also has to keep reminding ourselves is just because we think that we know how, what we're doing and just because we, 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 we drive safety, we also have to acknowledge that things can go wrong. We were flying out in North Las Vegas at, at 150 feet um, and, and, a, and a police helicopter saw something on the ground that got their attention and they went into a dive and literally came down to about a hundred feet over the ground to, to look at something. And this is out near the desert. And, uh, and, and if it hadn't been for the, the quick reaction of the pilots and the systems realizing what was going on could have had a, a tragic end. The question is, is who was responsible for that? Well, technically the helicopters out there have a floor. They're not supposed to go below. So the situation generally back mm-hmm. to your point is, is who has priority in the airspace and mm-hmm. and how do we figure out how to mutually respect those lines that drive mm-hmm. that safety? But in the meantime, we have to be we have to do the very thing I taught my my troops in the military, and that is be ready for the unexpected. Because, like the great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So mm-hmm. we we have to be ready for that. Yeah. Well, listen. Continued success. This is awesome, and uh, we just love the fact that you're doing this and uh, taking it so seriously. I can't think of yeah. a better person. To, to do this, uh, you, you're taking it with a lot of responsibility. And I think that's going to pay off. It may be a little bit slower. You may get there, you know, a little more, uh, a couple of uh, quarters behind maybe somebody here in Silicon Valley who wanted to go faster and take more risk. 
But I think it's the right move because yeah. you're going to be judged to a much higher standard because it's a new technology. And I, you're, you're well aware of that. So continued success. Thanks for coming on the pod. Tom, Tom. Walker, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right. Take good care. Talk All soon. Right. Thank Cheers you a lot. Time. Yeah. Come back anytime. Thank you a lot. Thank you a lot. That, that was, was weird. great. That was you a know, weird thing interesting. to say. Uh, Fascinating. Well, you know, I, somebody in the thing was like, you're not asking hard enough questions. I was like, what is the hard question we missed well, here? I mean, we talked about these things falling out of the sky. Um, it just yeah, hates it. Somebody, some people hate it, right? Like some people hate it conceptually. What, what's not, the downside? Because they don't know about buildings and airplanes and all the other things that America, that humans have done to like mess up. The, I mean, listen, I understand the idea that like, if you want to look up in the sky, you don't oh, necessarily, you know, aesthetics. like buzzing drones, uh-huh. like aesthetics and sound. I mean, I will say electric drones don't have to be very loud. Um, no, they're, but, they're, they're much quieter than trucks driving well, packages and planes around. and planes, about planes. So. like have you ever seen those videos where like a plane goes over and every bird is like Boom. yeah like i wonder but i will you know, say a drone flew over my house the other day and i was mm-hmm. like i will shoot that f-, right like it sort of hovered well, in front of my window and i was like i will come for you so the privacy is, is a real question yeah it's that but is, it's also like that's not a thing we're used to so that, when a drone well, flies over also, my house now i know it's not from walmart i know it's some f- looking in my window and i'm gonna shoot it yeah. So, I mean, there's a difference between somebody going 20 stories above your one or two story house. They're right. 18 stories. You don't even notice them. Yeah, and they're going 25 feet. miles an hour. They're not lingering. Yeah. That's one situation. The situation I don't like, because I had this happen as well, is somebody was flying a drone, you know, around uh, our neighborhood. And it was kind of obviously looking at us in the backyard. And like, that to me is kind of weird and creepy. Like, you know, these things have high res cameras on them. They're obviously going around, you know, and it's, um, they're, they're peeping toms, you know, looking at people. And there is something disturbing about somebody flying something over your house to watch you. That's why I think he was very, uh, you know, uh, specific. I don't know if you noticed, he said, we don't record anything. Yeah. So we could yeah. record. They don't even take pictures I, of the drop off, like no yeah, camera at like, all. I want a looped video of the drop off. That should be a checkbox I get to put in. I would like to see it land in my backyard. Yeah, would, but if there was ever like, cool. I mean, it would be super cool, exist. but. Yeah. yeah, then it exists on a hard drive somewhere. We'll get I guess. there. That's we'll not get bad. there. Yeah, um, you made a good dis- uh, point about uh, in our chat about the number of crashes happening with the increased with delivery vehicles. Yeah, and the inc- so one of the things that's happening is as we all order more e-commerce and we stop going to stores, is the number of rides being done, the amount of deliveries, the amount of delivery trucks is mm-hmm. massively increasing in the world. Yeah, which of course means more crashes so maybe yeah. you give us a couple of these stats here Molly. i mean and i don't think these ones even include amazon there have been some stories about amazon delivery vehicles uh yes. specifically because they've got those huge trucks and also let people use their own cars but so yeah. just if you're looking at ups dhl and fedex since 2012 ups cars the number of crashes has increased by 38 percent dhl mm-hmm. express vehicles the number of crashes has increased by a hundred percent and the number of crashes involving fedex vehicles has increased by 200 and 54%. That was between 2012 and 2021. And those, again, don't even include the Amazon delivery vehicle crashes, which in my quick duck duck during the show, I didn't find. So what we need to know here is the number of miles driven. So if the number of miles driven, you know, doubled in that time period or tripled in that time period, they might in fact be safer. I don't know, you know, so that that's the one thing I don't know is the denominator here of what's changed where we're looking at the number of crashes in a vacuum. But anyway, net net, there's more crashes on the road. Now crashes yeah. per mile driven, who knows, but the bottom line is, I think these are going to be 
massively, I think like 10x, 100x safer than deliveries being done other ways. It's not going to be for every delivery. It's going to be things that are, you know, 10 pounds and under now. Yep. Maybe it gets to 20. Maybe there's some limit that we don't want hundreds of pounds in the air, 20 stories above us. But I, you know, I could see these things dropping off. You could have five drones dropping off your groceries, you know, 50 pounds worth of groceries, 10 pounds at a time. And they just back to back, you know, every two minutes show up at your house and you, you just have boom, 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 boom. Can you imagine going out like you're having a barbecue and you're like, you know, it'd be great if we had more chips and salsa. And it's like, beep, beep, boop, chips and salsa <laughs> dropping from the sky. I mean, how many times do you like, I would like some salsa. I'd like, we're out of right. And this is going to be sorry. Sick. Like I, these do, these are zero emissions vehicles, right? They're oh, electric drones. They don't contribute to greenhouse gas emissions. Like mm -hmm. there, there are always going to be trade-offs, but if we live in a world where people want deliveries, mm. if I, everything is going to, as somebody just said, have pros and cons. And I, I think this has more potentially pros than cons. Mm. I don't, this is an interesting also, chart. like, as we've okay. been saying, Tom is exactly the kind of guy that you yeah. want in charge of this, right? Like, you don't, you don't want don't, a 22 year old Silicon no. Valley. Who's just like, farther, Yolo. faster, bigger. And then you've got him like running out of battery and falling out of the sky. And you got like the fact that he, they're basically trying to build in air traffic control for drones, like figure out who has priority. Like that's all, that's what has to happen. It's got to develop in a way that allows for a healthy ecosystem as opposed to like mm. one company winning it all and killing anybody in their path I'm trying to figure out this chart here this is a chart of injury rates by injury category for amazon delivery system amazon dsps and non-delivery non-amazon delivery in 2021 uh injuries per 100 ftes i don't know what ftes are full -time in this oh, full-time equivalents okay so 18 out of 100 folks got injured lost time light duty or other so basically the delivery partners, I think what happens is um, what Amazon is doing, I think this has been criticized a whole bunch, is in order to have it be cheap and fast. And fast. If mm -hmm. you put a delivery partner as opposed to one of your own employees, you then obscurify your uh, and you create a jump in liability, both for the driver, you know, their insurance, whatever. And Let's face it, somebody running these small operations will take more risk than somebody who's a manager at Amazon. So by having delivery system partners, DSPs, they're shielded a little bit uh, from their behavior. And it's just like uh, Google or Facebook, they use people to review content who are not employees, they're contractors, so that they have a little bit of a, a shield. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a management trick you know, in terms of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and and you see it here in the numbers. So you're the manager and you've got your own little mom and pop shop of, you know, 50 drivers in Arizona. You're trying to make money, you hire people for less, you, you demand they go faster, you know, you don't pay them overtime, whatever it is, you, you skirt some rules. And you increase performance, but then also increase injuries. So BuzzFeed and ProPublica did a big story back in 2019. Yeah. I knew that there was something about this that yeah. talked about uh, these Amazon delivery vehicles and the deaths that they were causing. And I mean, I think it was like they'd been involved in 60 accidents um, in one year, maybe 13 fatalities. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it, it's if you pri I mean, actually it gets to our exact point. If you prioritize speed, 
mm-hmm. and uh, cost efficiency yeah. overall, yeah, you're going to get people killed. Listen, there's a safety knob, there's a speed knob, and there's a cost knob. And if you want to play with the knobs, you know, like, that's part of running a business, we get it. But when you got that safety one, you're kind of obligated to maybe not turn up the speed one as much and just think it through. And, you know, we, we Theranos is the is the perfect example. She's trying to go faster than she should. She should have gone slower and did one test, then two tests, right? Like this guy's the anti Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. He's like, we're gonna do a line of sight, then we're gonna go to five miles. I'm like, why can't we go further? Oh, you're on 25 miles an hour. It's My like natural inclination would be go go 50. And right. it's like, well, why? Yeah. Yeah. Why if, if we if we have what if that, you know, contributes 10% chance to our chances of getting in an accident, 1% of our chances to get in an accident, why would you even do that? And so move fast and break things when you're building SaaS software is completely different than when you're flying drones over people's heads or doing blood testing, you know, or, or, or doing delivery, you know, last mile delivery. So it's just something to keep in mind when you hear that phrase, if you're a founder, move fast and break things, totally fine in your office. <laughs> With software, you want to challenge a server to, you know, run more cron jobs faster. And, you know, that, that's, that's like one thing, you know, you want to push your iPhone to the limit with your video game, like move fast and break it. Yeah, crash the iPhone. <laughs> it's not, don't crash the car or the drone. All right, we got some other news. So uh, should we? All right, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed this discussion. Obviously, we want to hear more of your thoughts on what you think right what a what a what a, do you want a drone delivery in a town near you uh but i can say that for my part at least i as we have said ad nauseum big big fan of tom walker big fan yeah, like it and uh if you want to suggest any we live in the future content producers at thisweekinstartups.com we always love when the founder i'm sorry when founders out there and and fans of the show give us ideas for things for we live in the future things that feel like science fiction but are becoming uh you know science reality more real every day yeah so so definitely put in the subject line we live in the future or wltif all right Uh, see you tomorrow everybody yeah all right see you tomorrow bye-bye bye-bye